All right. This is the Sunday a lot of us have been looking forward to for months. We have painstakingly went through the entire Old Testament. We're done with the Old Testament. I'm sure many of us, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure many of us have uh, been hitting with squinty eyes with, you know, the old see-through pages or your tablets or your phones, everything, just trying to fully understand weird stories from the Old Testament, like, you know, whenever Elijah cursed these little boys and they got eaten by a bear. Everyone remember that story? That was a whopper, right? I mean, just stories like that. You guys are going like, oh my gosh, when is this going to be over? When are we going to get the New Testament? We're finally there. We get to talk about Jesus, right? Everyone's happy about this. So let's get our Bibles open. Let's get started with this morning, all right? Turn with me to Genesis 1. Um, No, I'm serious. Turn to Genesis 1. I promise we won't be there long. Uh, our, our actual main goal is going to be John 1, okay? That, that's where we're really going to be uh, unpacking mostly. Uh, but there's things that John is trying to get us to comprehend, and he's trying to make some very clear comparisons, okay? Um, and he's doing that between the beginning of his gospel and Genesis 1, okay? So before we really start to get into the gospel of John and really talk about that this morning, I'm sorry, we got to go back to Genesis 1, (laughs) okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, okay? Uh, So just bear with me. All right, so Genesis 1, we're going to just read the first two verses real quick, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, Or, according to Nobel Prize winning physicist Steve Weinberg, in the beginning there was an explosion simultaneously everywhere all at once, (laughs) is how how he would put that, which I I actually think was rather colorful, is how he puts that. Uh, Most of us can quote uh, the beginning of the Bible, or at least basically understand what's trying to be depicted here, right? That God created everything, right? He created everything, and in the beginning was only him, and everything came from him right? That, that, that's in general, that's what we're trying to get from Genesis 1, okay? That's what we're supposed to get from that. Now, when we think about in the beginning, and those big bolsterous words, right? In the beginning, and you close your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes real quick, all right? And you're picturing in the beginning. How many people are just seeing just blackness? Just nothing but infinite blackness. Thank you for the honest people that are raising your hand. Because, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, that, that's how we're going to picture nothing, right? We're going to picture in the beginning when there's nothing else there, just, just blackness. There's nothing in existence, right? Okay? And then you go to the next part, right? God created the heavens and the earth. So then in your mind, right, you see the blackness, and all of a sudden you probably see this big flash, and all of a sudden you see earth floating right among the stars. Okay? How many people would picture that? Don't lie. Don't, don't lie. Come on. Come on. That's what you're picturing. All right. All right. Maybe it was something like this. Nope. He's saying it's not working. That's fine. But you guys get it. You picture it, right? Earth just kind of floating in the sky, right? Okay. Picture that. And let's work our way backwards. Just real quick. So the, war- the earth was formless and void. So now we're going to go backwards. Take away the earth, right? There's no form to the earth, right? It's, there's, it's not there. What's left? what we would consider, right, the heavens or the stars, right, or however you want to think of that, right? So, 
all that, right? That's what's left. Okay, now, now take that away. What's left? Black, void, vacuum, nothing, right? Now take that away. Can't do it, can't. <laughs> That's kind of the point, right? When we read Genesis 1, the first three words, when we think in the beginning, let's, let's think about that. When we open the word of God, the first three words we can't comprehend. We, there, that we, automatically, when we picture nothingness, when we picture the beginning, we're already inserting our own perception of what that may look like. And it's impossible. There's no way for us to perceive what nothing looks like. Nothing looks like nothing. So, you know, because it's nothing. There's your quote for Sunday morning. Nothing looks like nothing because it's nothing. There you go. <laughs> but that's, that's the big thing to remember this morning, you know. Uh, but no, it's, that's crazy, right? And, and that's how the entire Bible starts. So if, if we're struggling with things, like let's, let's struggle with what's at the beginning, okay? So we're going to unpack this a little bit more because John specifically references this stuff, okay? So we'll, we'll get there, guys. We'll get there. Okay, so I, I don't necessarily, we're not necessarily going to go right down the rabbit hole of uh, creationism and everything, like, per se, okay? But what I want us to do is kind of just struggle with our perception of things, okay? Hey, that picture, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to struggle with like our, just kind of our perception. Uh, the earth doesn't look like an egg like that. Okay, don't get confused. All right. Um, <laughs> it's just a little distorted. Okay, it's, it's, it's round. Don't, don't panic. All right. Okay, so when we think about the creation of everything, um, today's top minds can really break it down into two, two distinct theories. Okay, now stick with me. This is going to matter. All right. So there's one called spontaneous creation. Okay. And then there's another one called, called causal creation, okay? And the names are fairly obvious, okay? So spontaneous creation would probably mean what? Creation was caused or created spontaneously. There you go, right? It's just all of a sudden, ow, we, we were just here. There were just, there were just particles. It just, boom, there it was, okay? Spontaneous. No, no reason, no rhyme, just there it is, okay? The other one, Causal uses logic, so to speak, okay? <laughs> All right, so it uses more of a logical idea that, okay, if, uh, I know, I'm, I'm losing some of you, but try to stick with me, okay? So laws of physics is a constant thing, right? If there were no laws of physics, the entire universe would unravel, okay? We kind of understand that a little bit, right? So laws of physics has to be constant, okay? So if at the very beginning, if we were spontaneously here, that means that to today, there would still have to be particles that could spontaneously come into existence. All right? It's called a constant. I don't know about you, but I have never experienced a horse spontaneously vaporize into existence in my living room. Please tell me no one's experienced that. Okay, good, because that's going to ruin all this. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. No, logic would say that there has to be a cause. There has to be something that started everything. Okay? Something can't just magically appear like that. Okay? So there has to be a cause. Here, here's kind of the logical thoughts of it, all right? Okay. Everything that exists has a cause. The universe exists. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Pretty simple stuff. Okay? So from Genesis 1, when we say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot of imagery that the author would have used. There's a lot of things that he could have used to say this and everything like that. 
But the best he's got is God created it. We don't really know why. We don't know how necessarily. <laughs> but he did it. He is the cause, right? So that's what, we've, that's what we're starting with. We're starting with the premise that there is a cause and that's God, okay? Again, John, John's unpacking this. So that's why I'm telling you to, uh, to stick with me a little bit because as we read through John, as we read through the rest of the gospels, there's a foundation here we need to understand, okay? So <clears throat> if God is the source of everything, how? How is he the source of everything? How did he start everything? Now that's an answer we can actually unpack. Genesis 1, 3. And God said. And God said. Cue the explosion. Boom. And there it is. Right? God spoke. Now, when Genesis was written, there may be something, obviously, a limita limitation of knowledge and perception and stuff like that. We don't necessarily understand fully what that means, but there's something about God's creating power that he's able to just speak something, and there it is. Dallas Willard actually has a really great quote, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase that a little bit. And it's kind of, it's, he's speaking more, speaking more about how Jesus uh, saved us and you know, salvation and how he did all that. He goes, he did all that somehow. And I think it's a very humbling quote. I think we kind of need to look at Genesis 1 kind of the same way. It's like God spoke and there it was. He caused it all somehow. Through our limitation of knowledge and perception, there it was. And I think it's okay for us to admit that. Now, there's something else that the author in Genesis is, is doing here. And it's called anthropomorphism. And that is giving something human qualities that is not human. Okay? And so... God is, is known as a, as a spiritual being, right? But yet, in here, he's able, to, he's able to speak, right? So when we think, in our limited knowledge, right, when we think speech and the ability to speak, what do we think of? What do you need to talk? A tongue? What else? Mouth, vocal cords, things like that, right? Okay, so, right, so God is a spiritual being, so we're, we're saying that he has all of these things. We're, we're like, he's inserting this, physical body onto God, okay? Now, I'm not trying to say this as like, you know, he's trying to limit God or anything like that. I'm just saying that there's a, a way that this is written for us to try to understand what God has done, okay? That, that, that's what we're trying to do here. Now, there's one other big thing that country is required for speech. Who said that? There it is. Breath. Breath, Right? This is the other really big thing that's required for speech. Who talks? Anyone talking here? Right. You breathe when you talk, right? This is not a hard concept, okay? What's it say here at the very beginning? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit, his ruach, his breath, okay? There's a concept that's starting to form here. God said. There's something about this animating force that exits God in some way. His spirit exits in some way. But it's not just this cloud that comes out. No, there's speech involved, right? God said. And what did he say? Let there be. Let there be. 
So it's not just, like I said, it's not some cloud. It's not some fog that has drifted over the waters and everything. No, God has specifically given instruction and said, let there be when there was not. And that's what we're meant to understand, that there is something not only about God's breath, but also literally the things that he speaks has power and authority in of itself. Right? Are, we, are you following along? Are you trekking? Okay. Let there be when there was not. When there was nothing, I spoke. And now there is. God's word was there. God's agent of creation was there in the beginning. Not after the beginning, right? It wasn't God said, let there be, and then there he was. No, no, no. His word was there doing the creating. And until we can fully fathom exactly kind of what that means and kind of understand the, the, the power that we're talking about here, it is only then that we've actually prepared our hearts and mind to read John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word, or, and the word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we're ready for the New Testament. Because there's a power that we're supposed to understand. There's a power that John is trying to get us to fully comprehend. He's trying to make us understand that, like, yes, this is Jesus, the man. Yes, this is the guy that we all walked around. Yes, this is the Messiah, but it's not just that. This is the guy that created everything. Everything. Take it back to just our modern way of thinking. Okay, uh, everyone knows um, the concept of a vacuum, like the vacuum of space, right? And the, the whole idea of the spontaneous theory is that something couldn't, had to come from, from nothing, right? In other words, like, boom, it just came into existence. But here's the thing. When there is nothing that's called the vacuum of space, there's still energy. <laughs> Look it up. I mean, don't take my word for it, right? There's energy in a vacuum, and that's what causes, never mind, getting way too far off course here. But the, the point is, something can't come from nothing. Something has to come from a source. And the way that we understand it, the, one, the way we are taught it, the way God wants us to perceive it, is that it's from his word. When he speaks, it happens. That's why in the beginning was the word. J.I. Packer has a book called Knowing God. And uh, he does a really good job of kind of putting this into a good perspective for us to just help us kind of understand this a little better. And uh, so he says in his book, and actually there's a copy of it on our table, if this sparks anyone's interest, Knowing God. It's right over there, okay? If Jesus had been no more than a very remarkable, godly man, the difficulties in believing what the New Testament tells us about his life and work would be truly mountainous. But if Jesus was the same person as the eternal word, the father's agent in creation, through him um, also he created the worlds, Hebrew 1-2, uh, excuse me. It is no wonder 
if fresh acts of creative power marked his coming into the world, his life, and his exit from it. That's a lot of words. Um, very Packer way of explaining things. <laughs> but what's he saying? He's basically saying, our ability to fully comprehend the incarnation is the crux of us believing the entire rest of the New Testament. That's what he's saying. Our ability to believe that the word became flesh, John 1, 14, our ability to comprehend, to fully believe that is the crux of everything else. Easter makes more sense in light of Christmas. <laughs> the virgin birth makes more sense when we understand the life-giving power of the word. Jesus' teaching and authority makes more sense when we understand he is God-made flesh. His death makes more sense when we realize that it's God saving us through the sacrifice of himself. And finally, his resurrection makes sense when we realize that Jesus was the one who originally brought life. So, of course, he can be raised back into it. The incarnation is our biggest benefit or hindrance. And that's why John is putting so much on it by beginning his gospel with it. The word became flesh. Now, if you notice at the very beginning of the gospel, there's something else John does. And I think this is very indicative of how he writes in general, because John had a mixed audience, right? He was speaking to Jews and Greeks and Romans and everyone in between, right? He was, he was trying to talk to everybody all at once, okay? And I think it's really interesting that he does not start his gospel by describing Jesus as the Son of God. That's not how he starts it. That's not his premise of his argument or anything like that. In fact, he's probably saw it as a hindrance to refer to him as the son of God. So if we look at culture at that particular moment, if he would have been trying to explain this to a Grecian or a Roman who would at the time obviously believe in many gods, this idea of a son of a God was very common to them, right? So they would go up, you know, you could see John going up to, you know, some Grecian and being like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? He's the son of God. And the Grecian come back, which one? Like, okay, no, no, the one God. Only, there's only one God. I was like, oh, since when? <laughs> See how we're already confused in this kind of conversation? You know, it's like, oh, no, no, he's, he's the son. Of, oh, cool. Well, maybe I don't know him. Maybe I know his brothers. What brothers does he have? No, no brothers. One and only, one and only son. There's only one, one God, one son. That's it. You know, it's, oh, okay. So, so, so what does he do? You know, so then he's immediately starting to put into practice this idea in his mind. It's like, okay, well, Hercules, he had strength. So what's Jesus' superpower, right? And he's already, no, stop. John backs away from that argument. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. He's not trying to put down or anything, this idea that, you know, he wasn't the son of God. No, no, no. He just understood who he was talking to. The incarnation is pivotal when we start to really unpack all of Jesus' teachings, all the miracles, all that. Because when we start to read, as like I said, we're starting the New Testament, and as we start to read through some of these things, you know, we may have a tendency to be like, 5,000 with just a couple fish? Really? 
but when you understand that life itself has a cause and a source, then of course Jesus can create something from nothing. Because he is God. That's why the incarnation is such a big deal. We have gone through the entire Old Testament and have seen how all of this is one unified story that points us to Jesus. He was there when we fell into our temptation because we want to be gods like ourselves, um, be gods ourselves. We, he was there when we uh, had the, saw the world be destroyed by a flood. Uh, he was there when the parting of the Red Sea happened. He was there through the cycles of corruption, uh, through kings and all, all that, right? He was waiting for the right time to take flesh and to walk among us. He came down to take on flesh and rescue us from our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection. So now we can take on his spirit and invite others to believe him and live in a new humanity through that united spirit. And he'll be there at the end of the age. He was there through all of it. And this is the story of the gospel. That he was there in the beginning and at the end of the age. And he came down from his place, his high seat of honor next to God, right? And came down to take on flesh and to die for us. And that's something that we should never forget. It's hard to grip the entirety of the gospel narrative if we can't fully believe the word became flesh. But on top of that, the thing that we should most definitely believe in, most definitely understand that first and foremost, the act of the incarnation was not just an act to defy nature, but it was an act of grace. And Paul helps us kind of understand this and unpacks this for us um, in a number of his uh, uh, letters and everything. But the, the first one I want to read here is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become flesh. Paul tells us plainly that Jesus' descent was not anything but an act of grace. He knew if there was any chance for us to be saved, any chance for us to once again be brought into a relationship with Father, it had to be through a sacrifice. A sacrifice so great that only he could do it. So he steps down and takes on the flesh. He takes on the pain and the suffering of this world and through his acts and teaching made a way for it to be healed. And not by just snapping his finger or stomping his feet, or clapping his hands. How does he do it? He speaks. He speaks. We'll see that it's all in red in the New Testament. He speaks a lot. And there's a lot for us to learn. But he speaks. And thank God he spoke it into existence, and he hasn't stopped speaking since. Just like in the beginning, God didn't just snap his fingers and walk away. He continued to insert himself and speak to us. So let's think for a second. Let's say, right, the universe has a cause. And that cause is this supreme being, this, this God. 
and he creates everything. And instead of stepping away, he chooses to have a relationship with that creation. How else would he have a relationship with us rather than choose to speak to us? And he chooses to speak to us through prophets and his word. Till eventually that word is made flesh in the person of Jesus and dwells among us and continues to speak. The hindrance at this point is our own ears. The hindrance at this point is our own pride. And Paul kind of talks into this too. Romans 12, 1 through 2, because this is our, our action. This is how we respond to that grace. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We live sacrificially because Christ sacrificed himself. He did not come down and take on flesh when we are worthy. He didn't even die for us when we are worthy. Romans 5.8, while we are yet sinners, Christ died. But because of the grace that was shown to us, we in turn give up something. We live sacrificially for others. This idea of sacrifice means that something we care about, something we hold dear, something that we put a lot of value into is also something we give up. And for some of us, that is our pride. Some of us think that we know. Some of us think that there's no way any of this is possible because I have the right answers. And sometimes you need to hear that humbly, we are called to believe that in the beginning, God created. And he did that through his word. For others, living sacrificially could simply mean your time. It could mean your energy. It could mean your finances. I don't know necessarily how you want to personally apply what God is trying to say here through this entire narrative but the application is very simple. You live sacrificially because Christ sacrificed. And we are meant to live as him with Christ as our example. Paul's not done. Philippians 2, verses 2 through 8. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want you guys to catch this. There's a humbling, right? He is from 
He's at a state of honor. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is enthroned. He is one with God. He was there at the beginning and he humbled himself to come down and take on flesh. But there's another layer of humbling here. Not just humbling to come down and face death, but face death on a cross, like a criminal. He had to face the same kind of death that we were due, the death of a criminal, one that committed treason against a king and a kingdom. And that's how he had to die because it had to be an equal sacrifice, one that we were due. And he chose to do it. So that way, that, that, that sin and that burden is lifted from our shoulders so that we can approach wearing his righteousness. Not our own, but his. So what do we do with that righteousness that we wear? We live humbly. We sacrifice for others. We look to others' interests and our own. We put off what is necessarily meaningful to us and we turn our loyalties to Christ. He's trying to teach us what it's like to truly live as the human he wanted us to live as. During our travels, we were down in Hot Springs, Arkansas. It's a very beautiful area. And uh, we were walking with another uh, family. They were a missionary family, but were, um, they have since moved to Hot Springs permanently. But at the time, they were just kind of um, in a transition period. And as we were walking, we, uh, <laughs> this guy caught my eye because he was literally wearing a potato sack. <laughs> um, you know, things like that kind of catch your attention. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so he was just wearing a potato sack. He had long hair, everything. But he was, he was walking very confidently. Like, yep, that's right. This is the outfit I chose today, and I'm proud of it. I mean, just he was just wearing it, you know. And I remember turning to the guy that we were with, and his name was Joseph, and I said, so what's his story? <laughs> he goes, well, so he goes, he actually talked to him a couple times. And he said, he is a very uh, interesting individual, very convicted um, in his beliefs, and he kind of takes this to heart, <laughs> this idea of living humbly, emptying yourself and all like that. So he, he doesn't have worldly possessions, but it's not, that he's, it's not that he was homeless. It's that he chose to be that way. You see what I'm saying? Like there wasn't anything in his circumstances that forced him into that, but instead he chose to just give it all away. And that's how he lived. Sometimes people would try to give him money, and he, Joseph, the guy I was talking to, he specifically is like, yeah, I, I just thought he was homeless, you know? He goes, so I tried to help him out and give him money. He won't, he won't accept it. He won't accept money or anything like that. He does odd jobs for money. But that, that's, his, that's his conviction of this. And don't hear that. All right, guys. So there's a, a stack of potato sacks in the back. As you leave, make sure to grab one. Like, that, that's not the message here. And I don't want you to hear that. But what I do want you to hear, and I hope it is convicting a little, that there are, there's more that you can give. And don't, don't hear, I want all your money. Don't, don't hear that. I'm saying, 
that there is an additional level of honor and stuff that we are probably grasping onto. Jesus was equal with God, and he did not see that as something to grasp and hold on to. So I think it is only fair that we ask ourselves the question, what am I grasping onto that I feel like I need, that I have to have this, this thing, whatever it is? that we need to let go. We teach this often around here. Open hand, living open-handedly. And this, I know this is very hard for me. Very hard for me. Um, I definitely have a, a, a fear, and a, uh, as uh, David says, sometimes the scarcity mentality that he likes to quote often, you know. Um, I, I have that fear big time. I know I do. And I, I struggle with letting it go. But as we let the praise and worship team come back up. I want us to just really, really grapple and wrestle with this idea of, you know, hey, I, I come to church, right? And I, I give my tithe, I give my offering, I serve on all these teams, I do all of these things. I'm giving up so much. And maybe you're even having this, this, this pushback to me. It's like, I give up so much. You don't know how much I give up. Why won't other people give up stuff? I feel like I'm doing everything around here. In which case, um, I bet Paul would say something along the lines of, excuse me, don't idolize your accomplishments. Or something like that. Don't idolize what you've done. Instead, simply seek Jesus. Look to Jesus and see, is there anything more I can do? Is there any more energy I can give up? Any more of my time I can give up? I'm supposed to live sacrificially, Christ, because I understand what you did. You paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I'm struggling giving up an afternoon to go do this thing. And I don't want to insert anything into your heads on what that may be, because if I had to guess, you're already inserting that yourself. God continues to speak to this world. He did it through Christ. And guess how he's doing it now? Through his church. Through his church. So if we are truly meant to fulfill the mission of go therefore and make disciples, we have to live sacrificially and understand that there is a mission that is greater than your nine to five Monday through Friday. That there is a mission greater, sorry to step on toes, than your wife and kids. There is a mission greater that we are all called to. the awkward silence kind of sit in a little bit because I really want us to just wrestle with that idea. So there's a few hindrances this morning that maybe you're struggling with. And I just want to kind of talk, speak into them a little bit, okay? First one, maybe you're one of those kind of people that's like, ah, I, just, I really struggle with this idea that there's this one supreme being that said a couple words and now we're all here. That just seems outrageous to me. Maybe that's what you're struggling with. 
in which case I'd say, thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. I hope that maybe you heard something this morning that at least make you think. But ultimately, I'm happy you're here because maybe God would have a chance to speak with you. Maybe you're struggling with the idea that Jesus incarnate, that the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with those kinds of words, with, the, with that kind of belief. Like I said, that could be our greatest hindrance, our greatest benefit for the rest of the New Testament. Take this time to just approach God and ask and say, help me, help me understand this. Help me believe this, because this, this is hard. This is tough. Or maybe you're having no problem with belief, but simply the application of living sacrificially. Maybe your problem isn't the belief, but the response to that belief. The act of grace, which we in turn with this. I'd love to speak with you if you have questions. We have many wise people here that love to pray with you and answer any of your questions. So if, if, you, if you are struggling with stuff, don't just sit there. Reach out. Because the church is how God speaks now in his spirit. Take this time to wrestle.